0: On today's episode of Tactical Faith, Dr. Travis and I tackle the question of what role does virtue play in Christian education, especially in Christian apologetic training. Join us today on Tactical Faith Radio.
1: This is a game.
0: Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world. But now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Tactical faith Radio. I'm Matt Burford. And I'm Travis Koblenz, and we are finally back together here to talk all things apologetics and theology, uh, especially when in concerning the state of Alabama, the South, and beyond. Travis, how are you? How are things going your way? Uh, I'm doing well. Staying yeah. busy. Are you teaching at UAB now, right? University of Alabama, Birmingham. Doing some stuff there. Yep.
1: Yeah. What, what, Enjoying it.
0: What area are you teaching in? What what classes are you teaching?
1: Uh, philosophy of religion and ethics. That's what I'm doing this semester,
0: at least. So with Tactical Faith, when we brought you on board, when I first met you, you were teaching at a small Bible college and you were teaching in the area of philo- Christian philosophy or philosophy in general, right? The same kind of topics.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I did apologetics. I, I taught New Testament, uh, one round and yeah. So
0: one of the things that brought me and you together, cause we were both kind of involved in the same kind of, Area of research, uh, me more ministry and practical. Uh, not saying yours is not, but of course yours is a research, a doctorate. But we were both kind of playing around and reading in the area of virtue and character. And uh, this was a couple okay. of years ago, and we kind of struck, uh, kind of struck a chord for both of us in different ways. But for me, in the area of apologetics, being involved in apologetics over the last fifteen years, if not more, uh, one of the things. That I saw in that world that I was living in, with all the other people that enjoyed apologetics, taught apologetics, read about apologetics, uh, there seemed to be maybe a weak point. I don't know if it's called a weak point, maybe it is, but there there was a lack of emphasis on the issue of character and virtue. Um, would you agree?
1: Yeah, I feel like the the primary focus uh, was always on. I mean, and it makes sense primary focus was always on uh having the right answers to questions uh being able to respond to criticisms you know i mean and it it makes sense that one would focus on those um i think it was lacking i think the lack was uh more troublesome than what people would generally recognize listen i
0: understand from my point of view having and leading uh, an apologetic organization, uh, at least for the, since 2011. I understand that it's not necessarily my purpose to provide uh, s- spiritual formation to those that I'm t- trying to teach or train, and it is the, the church's job individually to do that. But don't you think, to some extent, we need to be talking about spiritual formation and its relationship to teaching and, I guess, giving propositional knowledge?
1: Yeah, um, the dip- I mean, I understand the compartmentalization. So, uh, one of the things the church tends to lack, at least most people in, a, in the apologetic world would would recognize this, tends to lack good def- a defense of the Christian faith, a real developed theology, uh, developed uh, understanding of why we believe or what are good reasons for believing what we believe, and so on and so forth. The issue that the issue that I have is that these things really cannot can't it's very difficult to separate them and still have a meaningful apologetic. Um, and th- I think a lot of this just comes from Scripture, at least the way that we, the way that we understand what's going on in Scripture. So, uh, you know, the, the classic passage in 1 Peter 3, uh, always be ready to give an answer for those who ask you for the hope that is within you. Um, and I always started my apologetics class talking about this passage because the question is, what is hope? How does it manifest? And who's asking us about our hope? That is it showing up in such a way that that in the apologetic world, someone would say to you, "Wait a minute, there's something there's something different here. Uh, why do why do you believe this, or why do you hold this?" And so, if we're not manifesting hope in some way, and if it doesn't come through in our apologetics, um, that the danger is that someone's going to hear the argument, understand the argument, and not want what we're offering, or not what we want what we're talking about. And if anything is fundamental to apologetics, it's not to get people to believe that God exists. It's to get people to love God. Hmm. So, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, is it our job as
0: ambassadors of the faith to try to create want, or is that just the spiritual, is that just the Holy Spirit's problem? Yeah,
1: I think, I think that's complicated. I mean, one of the issues, the the classic kind of move in trying to to convince people of the faith, kind of a classic event uh evangelist move is uh in fact i just saw this on the Harold video you're talking about but it's usually to make people realize that they're in need so y- you might think of uh you might think of the steps toward leading someone to christ to be you know someone who is a skeptic or whatever you start off with belief in god you try to show that it's the christian god you show that they're in need of god and that's usually by trying to emphasize their sin and then they turn to god because they because they're in a desperate situation you might say So danger of hell, promise of heaven, um, something along those lines. And yet at the heart of that, you you don't see a turning toward hope. You see uh, an avoidance of of difficulty or an avoidance of suffering or something something along those lines. But part of the reason why I'm having a hard time kind of explaining this is because the very idea of hope is underdeveloped. In sure. the way that we talk about these sorts of things so always give an answer for the hope that you have well if our hope is simply a set of objective propositions then apologetics does just fine but the possession of a set of propositions is not something somebody generally asks you about hmm. they don't they don't watch your lifestyle recognize that you hold certain propositions and then ask you about it they see that you are filled with some sort of hope right you understand I, I don't know if i'm explaining that clearly because the question about hope relates to whether it's objective i got to be kind of careful here but there is an objective side of hope right there simply is god loves us god has uh, overcome sin jesus is lord these are the objective sign objective elements of our hope but hope is actually a virtue it's a it's a it's a way of looking at the world and it's not simply you know this life is terrible but later on things get better
0: well, you've, um you've talked about virtues before. Uh what are the virtues? Uh are there specific virtues? What's the definition of virtue?
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the key elements. So so virtue is is uh, the ancient idea of virtue just comes from a Greek word for excellence. To be uh you might put it something like you to be fully what you're what you are made to be. And so you can look at Christ's uh, sacrifice and work on our behalf as giving us the opportunity to become what we were meant to be, and so in many ways Christ is the fully virtuous one, uh, the true the true human, the one who is fully God, fully man, and was fully able to be what God intended humans to be. Um, and so virtue virtue is is our becoming what we're intended to be in living the way we're we're meant to be, and there are there there historically have been. Uh, four uh, cardinal virtues, what you might call secular virtues or universal vir- virtues, and those are uh, courage, temperance, wisdom, and justice. And then there are be- be considered three theological virtues or virtues that would not be virtues if there were no God, and that are those are faith, hope, and love, um, you know, the three mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13. So what part do we play
0: in that? as you know, as Christians, you know, I guess this is where the whole works, um, faith issue and dilemma and conflict comes into play, but are we expected as Christians to reach towards excellence?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, and this is another, <laughs> this, this might be more of a, more of a difficult problem in, in the general way that we approach salvation as well, and that we generally distinguish, we, we, uh, in the hopes of making things clear and easily communicable, we divide up the elements of salvation into uh justification or becoming you know getting to that point where you are uh you're washed of your sins you are legal- you might say legally justified the legal the legal aspect and we call that justification and we separate that from the development of character which we'd call sanctification um and it makes sanctification appear to be sort of a kind of an added, added thing that you probably should try to do. And it's, you know, it's kind of important, but what really matters is that you get saved. So that, that tends to be, at least that's, that's the inference I made uh, throughout a a good portion of my life. And so um, often we see something, I mean, clearly theologically, we're taught that it's Christ's work that saves us the indwelling of the Holy spirit. Uh, de- helps us to develop and become sanctified, uh, developing character. Um, what, is the, what is the person's role? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can appeal to Paul where he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is Christ at work in you. Um, uh, I think cl- historically we can look back at different pos- different positions on this, but uh, sanctification, the development of the verse, if we call sanctification that, that is a a mutual work between between the person and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's clearly the Holy Spirit must be involved. Yeah, and
0: it's the whole concept of allowing the allowing Christ to be Lord over everything, right, including every aspect of who you are. Like he's yes. he's forever in front of us. As a friend of ours uh, in town, Dale Wallace reminded us this week when we both met with him. Uh, what did he say that Christ ins, needs to be forefront? Was it one? how many minutes every 5 what was it 1 second in every yeah. minute or, or yeah. the idea that he at some point you need to be thinking about Christ in 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 your relation to him as much as you can in order to continually reorient yourself daily right
1: right and and a key element of what of what Dale brought up in which this goes all the way back particularly to Aristotle is that the development of the virtues really it's a lot of times we as, at least this has been my was my experience I was always waiting for God to magically transform me. You know, you hear the stories about the person who was addicted to drugs, or was an alcoholic, or had some other kind of like uh, thing that was that was just eating away at them, and they came to Christ, and suddenly the desire was completely gone, and all they wanted to do was, you know, read their Bible and pray every day. Sure. Most of us don't have that kind of experience. Most of us, you know, we 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 have we have. A, a time when, when we feel st- strongly motivated, but then we settle back into kind of everyday life and that magic is gone. And uh, Aristotle talked about the development of the virtues and Dale Walsh was kind of focusing on this. And a lot of Christians who have talked about character bring this up, that it's about developing habits, right? So you, you, uh, you have a hard time praying, you know how you solve that problem? You start practicing praying. Spend time in prayer, you know, and as you do that, you develop a You develop a habit for it and you 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 develop a capacity. And a lot of times I think we're waiting. We're so we emphasize authenticity and spontaneity so much that we're looking for God to just change our desires instead of looking to work with God to change our desires. There's so much
0: here. And this is the reason why for Tactical Faith over the next year, if not more, we're centering on. Uh, or at least our big theme by which we're creating our content and looking at all the actions by which we do as an organization is geared towards how can we talk about virtues and spiritual formation in light of things like teaching apologetics and teaching theology. So much that we could talk about and we will in the future, but what about this connection between character and knowledge? Uh, that's something that I worked on in my dissertation at at Beeson Divinity School was what is the connection between the concept of humility and the the idea or the practice of Christian education? Um, you know yeah. I, I looked at the fear of the Lord as a phrase and as the beginning of of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and those concepts in your mind w- where is the link or what is the relationship between who you are, and how you perceive and understand the world, and yourself?
1: Well, I mean, t- to be honest, I think I should be asking you that question. I'll, I'll, let, let me make a point, though, maybe maybe two points, and then and then I kind of want to aim that question back at you. Sure. I mean, you, you've done some of the work. I can talk about this a little bit from a philosophical angle, um, but I'm just going to make some general comments. I'd like to see what you have to say uh, from a biblical angle. So, um, uh, first of all, we tend to think that uh, in the in the Christian world, I think we tend to believe that humility is a nice add-on for when you have knowledge, if you want to be nice to the people that you're crushing with your arguments, um, and that's that's kind of a that's kind of a bonus. But it's not it has nothing to do with truth because truth and your character have nothing to do with one another. Um, I think that's I think that is confused, and I'm just going to mention really quickly uh, if you look at say Romans you recognize that sin actually has an impact on the way one perceives the world. And so it's possible, it seems like it's possible for you to have all the facts, to possess all the facts, and the sin in your life actually has a corrupting influence on how you put those together, perhaps, or what you do with those facts. Um, and, and there's there are countless examples, I think, in scripture, but uh, given that you did the work on this, uh, what do you think is the relationship between uh, one's character and knowledge? So
0: they dealt with that issue from Augustine um, or Augustine, whoever, however you want to say it, Augustine on have, have Aquinas dealt with this issue. Augustine uh, dealt with this issue, St. Benedict um, and St. Bernard. Those are all the guys that I kind of dealt with. Um, Benedict and Bernard, in fact, had tw- almost like 12 steps. They were, they, Lifeway would have loved them. Right. Uh, Cause they could have given right. up 12 steps to humility. Um, which was something that came from Saint Benedict. Uh, in fact, Saint. Bernard talked about it before it, with Saint Benedict in terms of the steps to deeper humility. But to add on to your point before, both of them at least understood there was there was a part for you to play in this. And they at least gave kind of a visual kind of picture of habits and ways and things that would connect in order to move you towards, uh, what I would say is the culmination, which is the fear of the Lord. Uh, and uh, Augustine talked about this too, uh, which is, and Aquinas built on this as well, which was, it's almost like a circle. You start with humility and it ends with humility because in and of itself, giving away of who you are to another being, is kind of like what the Trinity, does it make sense? That's kind of what the Trinity is to some degree. It's right. giving of yourself to another um, and within the Trinity itself, that's love. So for Benedict and Bernard, the steps started with humility and essentially ended with kind of this. Well, I have it here before me. The first step is the fear of the Lord, the second is uh, what they call the destruction of the self or self will. Uh, then they mm-hmm. have obedience, patient endurance, disclosure of the heart. Um, this thing they call the contentedness, um, of within. And then, uh, then comes massive lucid self-awareness, uh, submission, silence, and what they call, uh, emotional sobriety all the way to the end, which the end, according to St. Bernard is this congruity between one's inside and one's outside. In other words, when you finally make it to the last step, there's this wholeness that's created in you. Uh, he says the proud and the fearful in this step are always posturing and aligning themselves with what makes for popularity and profit but as humility reaches its goal integrity honesty and sincerity become come to full flower that is because by the gift of humility we open ourselves to be fully formed by God or what I would argue is full Christ likeness. having turned our look to God and made the journey into our heart we discovered that the man or woman God has made us to be, and we begin to live out the experience in an authentic and non pretentious way. Since by humility we are focused on God, we are less nervously self conscious. How this worked out in the way I taught, especially when I taught seventh grade apologetics in a small Christian school, is I saw it as an XY axis. You know, I kind of got this from some summit ministry uh, curriculum where you are becoming less, but not less in value, but you're losing yourself to two axis, to others in service and to God fully because you're loving him with mind, heart, and every part of your being. So losing yourself to others and to God is the template by which Jesus Christ gave us. That's pure humility. That's, that's like humility at its highest point. It's the highest step. In other words, the congruity between my inside and my effect to the outside world. I actually find my true self by giving fully to, do to two different axes, to others and to God who created me. And that's right. such an upside down way to think about it. But that was kind of the relationship God wanted in Eden, right? You walk with me right. and I will teach you who you are, right? Don't rely on what the beast, the serpent told him, which is, wait a minute, you know best In fact, you go eat of the fruit of the wrong tree. What God was saying and what I think Eden and the temple represents and what heaven and the new earth represent is essentially, no, you walk with me, give yourself to me, and you will find truly who you are. So why is that important? When the process of apologetics and teaching apologetics, (laughs) that has to be a crucial component to that, right? If we're going to show the hope, like you say, to others— then the reality is when I'm speaking to the others and giving them the hope, they have to, to some degree, I have to disappear and have total empathy for the person in front of me to the point where I passively and actively and involved in this person where I disappear. And then where that becomes difficult is it? what if the person I'm talking to is not necessarily somebody who, who is an enemy, quote, unquote, an enemy of me. So what what we're saying here is to some degree, I have to fully love this person in front of me and give them the hope, not not just the knowledge of what I know about God, but to somehow showcase this total encapsulating humility and love that I have for my father to the person in front of me. And my point to the whole thing was uh, that has to show itself even when you're talking about something like the cosmological argument of God. Not only if I'm if I'm going to express and teach that concept to somebody, let's just say within the church, I have to almost build up to that concept, hoping they understand. You have to be a kind of person first before you give that. And I wasn't seeing that at all in all the apologetic world. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not saying those that were in or in the apologetic world don't do that purposely. That I just don't think there's a reflection enough of, especially within inside the churches, we teach theology and apologetics of the process and the importance of virtue and especially humility and spiritual formation before we even get to the place where we're teaching them the knowledge. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a a lot of, a lot of the question, and maybe this is part of what's erroneous about our approach, not that it's in a, not that it's completely ineffective, but part of what It seems like even now what we're trying to do is we're trying to defend wisdom, humility, uh, spiritual formation, character development. We're trying to defend it as being useful for apologetics. Right. And it strikes me that that's Uh, that's what's upside down. Sure. That the idea is that if if apologetics is not an act of worship, then it's almost as if you're just pointing at how – while the person can hear of course that you you have this these particular answers and so on and so forth ultimately it's like you're you are looming large so that you're pointing at god but you you're pointing through yourself i mean you're you're pointing at yourself but god's kind of behind you and kind of hidden by the enormity of your intellect and the fact that you're defeating this person in an argument huh. um that's that's that seems to be how it how it can come across. Um, but the idea here is that the fear of Lord, the fear of the Lord is the source of it all humility and worship and, and the cross itself is the apologetic. And so the giving of oneself, all of the, all of the acts of apologetics and so on and so forth should be within the context of of an act of worship that all things should be worship. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times, and, you know, I've had this, I've had discussions with with people who, with whom I disagree, uh, atheists and, and a variety of other uh, religions, and it seems like my ego keeps, when I begin to fear, when I get tense and angry and frustrated, I can tell that my ego has arisen, and now I'm not pointing to God, I'm pointing to m- myself being correct. It's important that I prove that I'm right. Um and if if it's in those moments when I've recognize I've left, I've ceased to worship, I've ceased to love the God that I'm talking about. I'm only talking about me now. right. Um, but it's hard to recognize that if you compartmentalize all these different things, well, there's the worship at church on Sunday morning, Wednesday at whatever, I do the worship time, and then I do my intellect time, and then I do you know, and then I do you know I do my personal whatever, but then I have the intellect time, and those are all compartmentalized. But the, the point of, I think a large, I think that's a failure in our contemporary um, contemporary understanding of, of the world, that these cannot really be compartmentalized, that everything is an act of worship. You worship God with, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no part that's left out. And humility, um, And humility is a hard concept
0: now to teach because we're so afraid of hierarchy and the abuse of hierarchy. Especially, especially today in today's time. I mean, we have these movements that are created like the like the Me Too movement and others who rightfully in some ways have noted massive injustices of abuse. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and they want to right those abuses, um, you know, especially with humility. Humility has been used and abused. Uh, We had um, Eleanor Stump, Dr. Stump, come last year, the noted philosopher who's done a lot of work on humility and that's one of the things she brought to my attention especially in her works was one of the reasons why we don't speak about humility because we're afraid of because we don't know how it works how it functions anymore especially in a democratic society where we're all kind of scared of giving ourselves to another right and it, because we know the minute we give ourselves to another we open ourselves to abuse and but love can't function without giving something of yourself to another right it can't. Right. I mean,
1: that, that's what love is. And there's a danger there.
0: And there's a danger and a risk there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it's such a crucial part of what I would argue. And you would argue as well is that understanding the virtues, understanding care, these character traits and spiritual formation is for me, especially humility is understanding you can't, <clears throat> you can't take on these hef- heavy issues and these heavy thoughts without first thinking about who you are in light of the Lord. You can't. I mean, there, 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 no ifs, ands, or buts. And that's why you correctly, and in my, my dissertation, I had to connect a practical component of it um, with my doctorate. And one of the things that I tried to teach and I did, uh, it wasn't very good, but I think what I was trying to point to, <laughs> which was apologetics in worship, was what you got at. Uh, got to earlier, which is <clears throat> humility and spiritual formation in worship have to be there. Like that in community with in community have to be a crucial part to evangelism and apologetics. Without those things, you what pride enters in. Right. Because you don't have people speaking into your life. You're not giving yourself to others in community and they're not they're not telling you truth. You're not telling them truth. You're not being Christ to them, them to you so in a sense you're opening yourself up to to pride correct and the misuse right. of knowledge and the total misuse of knowledge and not only that here's where I'd like to get to Travis and I and I I know I know I'm up to some, I know to some degree I'm close to something when I say when 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 in wisdom literature it the Jewish world and the Jewish community could speak about these things better than me and you can But they were I almost want to know it would be interesting to talk to a like Second Temple Jew and ask him these questions. And he'd probably look at us dumbfounded. Well, of course, knowledge and character are intertwined. Why would you think otherwise? (laughs) You know, when did the split happen? Is that a is that a modern approach to to knowledge? Is that a is that a an over rationalistic approach to knowledge that we inherited like a couple of hundred years ago?
1: Yeah, uh that's a that's a really good question. I think I would have to reflect on that some. Um, because there are there are ancients who really did connect. Um like there's there's hints in Plato, at least if you read them correctly, I believe. And it it's in Plato that that not not hints, it kind of is right out in your face, that if you are full of vice, then you you don't even know how to ask the right questions. Like you might you might possess a bunch of facts, but you just you're your questions are off there's something wrong it's like you try to skip ahead or something like that like these sorts of things sort of take place and uh and uh so when when did that change um i mean i'm 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 tempted to just point at the enlightenment and blame it for everything um I'm, i'm not sure that's correct though because i think this is a this is a consistent struggle that human beings have had i'm not sure it's a new problem Yeah, um,
0: that's true it just
1: might it might be a little more pronounced now so th- it's it's if we think about it it's sort of weird when you hear about i mean for example every every professor who studied philosophy should have spent a considerable amount of time studying ethics And we hear about all kinds of ethics violations among those who have studied philosophy that that should be surprising to us but it's but it's not um and and why like why why don't we find that separate what is it about our per- perception of the world well we we see we see truth as being uh unconcerned with uh you know that line uh among uh some you know facts don't care about your feelings right uh, but my feelings sure do affect the way i approach facts um uh but that it's it's like a compartmentalization there are simply facts you have the uh disinterested observer the person who has no biases observing and so therefore really facts can stand up on their own without any kind of it doesn't matter what you feel about them they they make themselves manifest
0: i think you're on point there of what you just said and you wonder and i don't want to lay this all on philosophers issues you know uh, it seems like we always want to point to the enlightenment especially the the ones that were the great thinkers like it was their problem but don't you think Mm -hmm. some of this is manifest because we see um that if you obtain truth there's a certain element of power to obtaining truth that goes all the way back to genesis right (laughs) the the first part of genesis if I have the knowledge, there is a there is a power to having that knowledge where I can control those things that are outside of me. So the yeah. pursuit of knowledge in and of itself, if not dealt with, if not thought about in terms of how I am coming to that truth character-wise, um, I can utilize that truth in good ways and bad ways. Does that make sense? And with all, especially with... It, I mean, we see all the benefits of gaining knowledge about the world around us, Travis. I mean, think of all the gadgets we have. We went to the dag right. moon and back, right? We're, I mean, our lifespan has increased. Um, we, I mean, it seems like the more we know, the more control we
1: have of the world around us. Right. And then you see that, I mean, you see that in the promise of the serpent, right? Uh, if you if you eat of the fruit you'll have you'll be like god knowing good and evil but you also recognize that uh, that's connected with i can possess knowledge without but i can possess knowledge in a state of rebellion against god's command right and so there's this idea that that my humility my my submission in uh, my love of god are irrelevant to truth. And you see that even in the first sin, right? Well you can you can disobey God and he doesn't he doesn't he just knows that you're gonna, you know, you know, you're gonna be like him. So just don't worry about it. And so there's there's two things that actually take place. You'll be kind of like in a pure relationship with God. Um and uh you'll be able to um you'll be in a pure relationship with God and you can let you don't you don't need a relationship with him to have the knowledge um and in fact if you're going to be in a peer relationship to him submission to him is you you can't you can't be in submission to him so you see all these things qu- sort of bind up together that your your virtue doesn't matter your relationship with god doesn't matter none of that makes any difference and this actually affects the way that we look at apologetics if you think about it our idea is that you can have and and I, this gets into some tricky complicated territory when we're talking about apologetic method but the idea is that it doesn't matter what a person is like. Truth, truth makes itself manifest to, to to everybody. And so sin hasn't affected our minds, right? That's the kind of the view. We're corrupted in our desires, perhaps. We're corrupted, corrupted in, in certain other elements. But our minds themselves have have stayed above and remained pure. And you can, I mean, you could draw that back to Gnosticism uh, Manichaeanism, all of these 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 ancient heresies, um, that just kind of got put together in the modern scientific, the modern scientific of science and so forth, um, and we've kind of bought into it. Uh, and I think I think we can point to to a variety of examples where people who have become very very concerned with the intellectual side of Christianity, very focused on it, have after a time become apathetic and just lost interest in Christianity itself and in God. Man, we could go on and
0: on, Travis, about this issue. There's so much that I have to say. There's so many questions that I have, but let's, we have devoted ourselves over the next year or two towards um, this issue and being curious about this issue. And hopefully go in and interview people about this issue and how this issue showcases itself in so many different areas of our life, not even just in apologetics and teaching and theology, but also in areas like sports and athletics and, and, you know, your professional life. You know, who you are matters how you think and perceive the world outside of you. And that's something that you want to talk about and create content for. And you have a podcast coming up, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I have I have one in particular that I'm going to be doing with a with a buddy of mine who's a PhD in philosophy, and we're going to be talking about the history of philosophy. But in particular, we're going to focus because we both have interest in ethics. Um, his 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 work has actually been in in human rights and so forth. Uh, but we're going to be talking about the history of philosophy, ethics, virtue, and how that how that relates. We're also going to be creating. I'm working on uh, some uh, some blog entries and so on and so forth to talk about uh why virtue language might be important for Christians to pick up particularly in terms of like how it can inf- how it can be useful for apologetics i know i just said we shouldn't talk that way but but really how it can be useful in communicating uh the truth of christianity to the world um as well as not just the intellectual side but also you know how it affects everything that we do
0: And and this will be part of the Tactical Faith Podcast kind of network that we're creating and um, showcasing over the next year. And you'll find most of all the stuff at www.tacticalfaith.com. And our podcasts are going to be, as they are now, showcased on Spotify, Google Play, and also now on Apple's iTunes. I will constantly be on TF Radio as the host as I pursue my side of the issue, which is the concept of humility. Uh, we're going to be speaking next week with um, Mark Hutton, Pastor Mark Hutton, one more time again, on the question of uh, what does it mean to be nice and tolerant? And, hmm. and all that is really surrounding my curiosity when it comes to fear of the Lord and humility, especially in terms of uh, masculinity and what does it mean to be a man. And those things are important as we navigate the world that we live in. Is there anything else you want to end on?
1: I don't think so. I just, I, I look forward to being able to to communicate these issues, to interact with the people in Alabama about apologetics, and interact with whoever it happens to be there. If you have questions or you want to, you want to, uh, even if you have problems, let us know and, and maybe we can carry on a conversation with uh, anyone who happens to be listening.
0: And my email is matt at tacticalfaith.com
1: and yours is. Mine is tcoblentz at tacticalfaith.com. Spell coblentz. Yeah, T C O B L E N T Z at tacticalfaith. But you can find that. You can find ways to contact us on the website.
0: Great. This is always fun, Uh, Travis. And uh, we will join each other again soon over the next month. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, We please ask that you would just visit us on TacticFaith.com. And listen, Uh, we weren't this way before, but the things that we're doing, we need help. Uh, We need partners, whether you're in Alabama, uh, the Deep South, or even the country. Uh, We have things that we want to do, and that takes partnerships. So if you're interested in any kind of partnership, and that includes funding, Um, please visit us at tacticalfaith.com. There's a place on our website to ask questions, uh, contact us through our emails, and we hope to be on next time.
1: See you, Travis. Absolutely. Take care.